Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2022 Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Metro DC chapter of the Association of Talent Development. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 President-Elect. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president as well as a member of our pod squad. And we also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing the international partner and head of global accounts at Potential Project, a speaker, author, and expert in leadership development, mindsets, mindfulness, and cultural transformation, Marissa Afton. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, I love this topic. And before we jump into it, compassionate leadership, please share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Sure. Well, I, uh, I I feel very honored to be here and be part of the ATD podcast because I've also been part of the ATD family, I would say, uh, for, for many years now. But in my role at Potential Project, I think you talked a little bit about uh, me and my background, but maybe a little bit about Potential Project as a whole. So we're a, a global consulting and professional services firm, and we partner with organizations around the world. We, we operate in 28 different countries. We have over 500 clients. We've touched over 350,000 people uh, with the sole intention of really finding ways and, and these ways through, through neuroscience and behavior change to create a more human world of work. That's kind of our, our core mission and uh, a lot of what has driven our research around compassionate leadership. And prior to Potential Project, uh, my, my uh, background is in the psychology of workplace health and well-being, where I've really helped many organizations navigate the psychology of behavior change to optimize well-being and performance. Ooh, now I'm even more excited because I love anything neuroscience slash behavior change, <laughs> leadershipery related. <laughs> well, then we're all in the right room together. There we here. go. <laughs> now, before we jump uh, into some of the juicy stuff we want to ask, can you level set us with defining exact exactly what is compassionate leadership? Sure. So, in really broad terms, we have two key elements that define compassionate leadership. And element number one is the wisdom part. And by wisdom, what I really mean is the courage to be able to do tough things, right? So, so leaders we know today have to make tough decisions. Sometimes they need to make decisions. Oftentimes they need to make decisions that people don't always like. But the, the other element to compassionate leadership is the compassion piece. It's being able to have care and empathy towards others while you are making those tough decisions and doing hard things. So in essence, very simply, we can say compassionate leadership is being able to marry the hard part of leadership and the human part of leadership together. And when we marry heart and human together, we know that we create better connections with our people, 
It helps us improve collaboration. It raises trust and psychological safety. And we have lots of really great performance outcomes as well. Oh, absolutely. And now more than ever, this type of leadership is important. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Yeah, I'm especially curious about how you came to sort of land on these two ideas, the idea of wisdom and the idea of compassion. I, first of all, completely agree. I think that those are two such essential components to leadership in general. But I'm curious, was it the result of research? Is is this something that you've been working on for a while? I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of how you came to understand these two components as being so important to this work? Well, it absolutely is uh, uh, an outcome of our research. And so as uh, leading up to our book, Compassionate Leadership, with the subtitle, How to Do Hard Things in Human Ways, um, <laughs> we, we were really curious about uh, seeing what types of leaders were creating the kind of uh, engagement and the kind of psychological safety and uh, job satisfaction and increased well-being in their people. And what we, what we found through a lot of research, and our research was done in partnership with the Harvard Business Review, where we've been able to um, assess uh, hundreds of thousands of, of leaders. We've been able to do interviews with over 250 C-suite executives. Um, and this is across 100 different countries. So we've been able to really look at, we have a huge wealth of data points where we've also been able to assess leaders with their people. People. And what we've discovered is essentially what we probably already all know is that human leadership, like when we show up as humans um, and are authentic and are vulnerable and are connected, that people show up for us as well. They become more vulnerable, connected and authentic themselves. And it really helps seal that social glue, if you will, within the culture. Now, the challenge has been that some leaders up until now or some leadership up until now has traditionally focused on either the, the tough part of leadership, having to you know, drive the business and, and make tough decisions, or the human part. And what we're looking at now is that especially you know, in this post-pandemic reality that we're in, where we're we're constantly having to deal with changes that we need a both and approach, hard and human together. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear you talk about it in that way, especially because when you're thinking about authenticity, that is often something everyone is striving for, but it can be very difficult to achieve. And I really think that that connection between sort of the tough side and the human side is probably where the authenticity tends to to be, tend to lie. But I can also see where it might be very difficult for many leaders to get there. You want to be seen as strong. You want to be seen as fearless. But sometimes that means compromising a little bit on the human side, which of course is an area you might not want to make that compromise. It's true. And I would say that this is a, a, a growth edge and a learning edge for many leaders. Sure. But we have had a year plus going on two years. I mean, you know, it's we've yeah. had a lot of time now to practice unintentionally, right? None of us really wanted to show up as vulnerable as many of us have since we all went virtual in the time that we were completely virtual and suddenly had 
the kid running across the screen, uh, you know, behind us or the cat jumping up in front of uh, on our laps in the middle of our work meeting. And so we've, we've unintentionally had this brilliant opportunity to demonstrate our human side and, and take away the layer of the work persona. And I think that this is the opportunity that we can lean into even when we are back at work, back face to face, that we can still allow ourselves to be human first and leader second. And that engages people to be a little more willing to see us as a whole human so that they can show up as a whole human, but still needing to make the tough decisions when necessary. I so agree. And I have to say, I think one of the benefits to the pandemic, and there have, believe it or not, been a couple, one of them has been just that. It's been identifying that, or maybe the reminder that people are people. We are human beings on the other side of that computer screen. Absolutely, we are. And we we don't want to lose that. Yeah, that really kind of, makes me want to ask more specifically, how do we address leadership demands and still show that we care for people at the same time? Yeah. You know, there's some kind of quick wins that you can do. Um, and, and some of them I touched upon already, but I would say, you know, number one, view your people as humans first as well, right? Recognize that we are all fallible. We, we make mistakes, right? But most people don't intentionally show up to make a mistake. And so when we lean into their humanity and emphasize that we have a shared humanity, that can help us uh, kind of come together better. And I would say, you know, make sure that you're balancing the drive for performance matched with a drive for care. So it's not that we're letting go of the performance. We still need to let people know when maybe they're falling short of the expectation or they're, they're not hitting the mark in terms of uh, their priorities. We still need to do that. But we do it from a place of care and doing it from a place of also curiosity. So we connect with people. We're curious about, well, are there factors that we don't even see that may be holding them back? And then asking ourselves how we can be of benefit to help them through those difficulties and challenges that they may be having. Yeah. And that's a challenge in some cases because Say you you get all this. You are the person who listened to this podcast and you know took your your programs and everything. But you're dealing with somebody who tends to be more, let's say, stoic in their approach. How can you help them? What kind of um, influence can you have on them if they've had an experience where the professional environments where they've worked, even during the pandemics? have not made that care part a um, something that's attractive, something that actually works where they have worked in terms of the culture that they've been part of. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate the, the, the question around what do you do with the stoic person or the person who just, for whatever reason, it's not in their comfort zone or it's not in their makeup to really bear all and share all. And I would say sometimes you know, what, what we haven't done as well, 
hopefully maybe since the pandemic started, we've been a little bit better. But, you know, when we're when we are separated from each other and we're only virtual, the tendency is to show up just with an agenda when you're connecting with somebody to show up with a reason. And I think what every leader can do a little bit better, even with your stoic individuals, as we're calling them, is to simply be present with them without an agenda, without needing an outcome, because this is what we're all craving. I don't care if you're stoic or you're extroverted or you're introverted. We all crave people simply showing up for us with presence, simply being with us. And so I would say maybe a little mantra is less doing and more being, because sometimes the greatest gift that we can give somebody is our presence with them without needing to actually change anything for them. And and maybe if I could just add one other uh, offering is the idea of uh, being able to offer some hope. And what I mean by that is hope through shared optimism, not a naive type of optimism where it's Pollyanna-ish and it's just like, oh, don't worry, everything will be better. But it's helping people recognize that we're not living in a static state. It may have felt that way for these for this time period, but we know that things change. And so how can we support each other through an uncomfortable time, knowing that it is impermanent? Love it. Great practical ways for compassionate leadership. And I'd like to expand this just a little bit more. So leaders. And why don't we say colleagues, because you can lead from where you stand, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some practical ways that both leaders and colleagues can show that they truly care for their employees uh, or their colleagues who are experiencing grief, anxiety, uncertainty, especially when they're having a hard time um, understanding uh, you know, like maybe perhaps maybe having a little trouble tapping into that empathy because they don't quite understand why it's affecting this individual so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it is tough, as you said, because we can't necessarily know what somebody else is experiencing or thinking. And one of the things that I notice leaders doing when they're trying to be helpful is to solve the problem with before they even understand what the problem, <laughs> yep. if you will, is. And again, this is where simply being present could be the best gift because sometimes people just need somebody to listen and to simply show up. I would say it's an opportunity to become really curious again and inquisitive and see whether you can find ways to maybe what, you know, what can you do very practically to lighten this person's load? What can you do very practically to reprioritize or shift a schedule or bring new team members on so that it's not weighing down on them all the work obligations as well as the personal obligations. And in terms of this, you know, feeling more empathetic towards somebody else, it, it really is a matter of seeing if you can put yourself in their shoes. And I know that it's a bit cliched, but again, if we try to put themse- ourselves in their shoes, maybe we will start seeing something in a new way that we haven't seen before um, that can give us an insight on how we can help them more tactically. Yeah, yeah that's often what I get when I'm talking to leaders or, or even people, uh, colleagues, is, you know, I, I really want to be empathetic. I want to help them out. 
but I just don't understand why they can't just get their work done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that actually helps them uh, look at this from a little bit different perspective. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I also really like the idea of coming to these kinds of conversations without that immediate need to problem solve. Sometimes it's not a problem that actively needs to be solved. Sometimes it truly is being there for someone, meeting someone where they are. I've certainly been in conversations and had experiences with colleagues where knowing they had that support helped them in order to be able to get back on track. So I'm really grateful that you mentioned that as a strategy to consider. Absolutely. And then just from a very practical perspective as well for the leader, you know, compassion to self as well is key here. And how many leaders have not put themselves on their own compassion list or even their own to-do list in these last years simply because they've been responsible for so much. We've been so busy. We've had to pivot and change and change again. And so making sure that we open up our own compassion or we flex our own compassion muscle towards ourselves versus leaders can enable us to recognize how to be compassionate towards our people. I'm so glad you mentioned that too. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts or tips on how leaders might be able to do that. Because I think, as you were suggesting, it can be difficult to do. In fact, many of us forget to put ourselves on that (laughs) list. Are there good ways that leaders might be able to take that pause and identify opportunities to sort of meet themselves where they are, get themselves what they're looking for? Well, as I mentioned, um, number one is really making sure that you carve out time for yourself and carve out time to do things that are meaningful for you, that bring you joy, right? I, and I know right. leaders, for some leaders, it's something as simple as, you know, going outside and making sure they get sunlight on their face for five minutes <laughs> in between meetings, or it's cooking at the end of the day, or it's, you know, making sure that you prioritize the bedtime regime with your children, you know, making sure that you really hold those times sacred and then throughout the day as well, so that you're not going back to back to back to back. I mean, the world will take up all of the time that we have in a day if we let it. But how do we make sure that we put time back into the day for ourselves to kind of refill our own cups so that we have more to give to others? So, I mean, that's one thing. But then the other piece is research is clear. Compassion can be trained. It is a trainable skill and it's trainable through training our own minds and our own mindset. And so if we practice, you know, kind of what we would call loving kindness to ourselves, and then we practice it in formal and informal ways to others, it has a, a, a multiplier effect. And what I mean by that is when we actually demonstrate care to somebody, it releases some dopamine inside of our brains that feels good. And it feels good for us and it feels good to the receiver. And it actually can help us feel more connected. And when we have that feeling it then starts to spread and we want more of it. So that those are other ways that we can formally and informally bring more compassion to ourselves while we're bringing compassion to others. 
Very good tips. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, are there any go-to resources that you would like to share with our listeners? I would say the number one go-to resource is our book, Compassionate Leadership, How to Do Hard Things in a Human Way. It's available on Amazon. It's available in many retailers. Um, but you could also go to our website. So at potentialproject.com, all one word, uh, we have a resources page. And in the resources page, we have a lot of articles and we have um, our, our what we call the human leader uh, research report, which we publish um, periodically with with new research and new findings. Uh, we we have apps as well, which you can download from our website or from your app store of choice to be able to really kind of get into the habit of training your own mind for better compassion. That's fantastic. I'd imagine there will be a lot of us out there looking for a little bit of extra self-education on this topic after listening to this episode. I mean, this has been wonderful. And before we wrap up, before we let you go today, at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest rapid fire style questions. Each of these questions requires no more than 60 seconds or so to respond. So what do you think? Are you ready for a handful of rapid fire questions? I would say, fire away. <laughs> <laughs> More than happy to. All right. So your first question is, give us one book that all talent development professionals or maybe professionals from any field must read and why? Oh, you know, hard to pick just one book, but hey, let's go for, I don't want to call it an oldie, but a goodie, but it is now 10 years since uh, Daniel Kahneman came out with Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, a real favorite of mine, again, because he gets into the neuroscience of our two systems of the brain, the conscious and the automatic, and recognizing that we may think that we make rational decisions or we may think that we're conscious of our biases, but hey, newsflash, most of the time we're not. And being able to take better control of our brain systems and recognizing uh, our automatic brain and our, our, our uh, non-rational brain uh, really, I think, can be helpful for anyone. So that's my book recommendation. Oh, that's a great one. Although I can't believe it's been 10 years. My goodness. <laughs> I know. Time <laughs> great. I know. It. Great selection. All right. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. I feel like this is a trick question. Um, <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're always, as humans, we're always looking for like, what's the next tool? What's the next trick? What's the next tip that's mm -hmm. going to help me um, and, and, and be able to get me better optimized in my day? And sometimes I think, you know, this is kind of going back to less is more. Maybe the the next best tool is no tool. And, and specifically what Ooh. I mean is, what if instead of us relying on all of the tools, we actually started to shut down some of the notifications and some of the things that simply actually create more distractions than focus in our day? Because when we're just distracted and busy, our brain is full, we're cluttered, it stresses us out. So I'm not trying to say that you know all tools are bad. I'm just saying maybe it's an opportunity for us to reassess how we're using tools and technology versus how they're using us. Um, but if that's a cop-out, I do have an alternate. <laughs> it's not, a, a no, not at all. As a matter of fact, I think this is one of my favorite answers of all time. If you do have a tool, feel free, more than happy. But 
I love that response. <laughs> the only other thing I will say for the people who are like really pro, pro tool is one of the things that I have loved about the Outlook Insights report is it really gives you a nice snapshot um, of how you're using your time. And I think that's a great way to assess how you want to use your time and how to really block in, you know, focus hours and, and, and breaks uh, throughout your day. Oh, I like that too. But I like focus as a tool. I think that's a great answer. That's (laughs) terrific. What is the best piece of talent development or professional advice that you've ever been given? For me, it it is going back to this human human over hard, if you will. Um, You know, we talk about hard and human being a both and style of leadership. But if, if I'm going to default to one, I'm going to default to the human and, and specifically really recognizing the humanness in everyone. We're social beings, right? That we, we engage through connection. So to emphasize personal connection first over professional skills so that we can build trust and help people flourish, I think can be a great way of helping people learn and thrive together. That's wonderful. All right. What is one thing that you are excited about that's coming up in the next year? I don't want to jinx anything. (laughs) (laughs) I am excited for more face-to-face interactions, you know, where I can see that somebody is more than just a a two by two square on a screen. (laughs) Because again, I think that there's so much opportunity when we are able to come together. But beyond that, I also think that there's an opportunity for us as TD professionals to really look at um, reinvigorating how we are solving for the big challenges of the day. You know, we, we did such an amazing job to respond to the need for better tools and, and, uh, training around resilience and well-being and mental health and, and bias and all of the rest. And then how do we lift that up another level? I think is, is going to be a challenge and an opportunity for us all next year. Absolutely right. All right. Your last question of the day. What is one thing within our talent development industry that you are deeply grateful for right now? You know, um, I think what I'm seeing and hearing from other talent development professionals is that there's been a great welcoming and partnership from C-level executives in, in the last couple of years that they haven't seen before, where training development has kind of been like an offshoot in some organizations, uh, but not fully integrated, where now they're at the table, they're, they're, they're talking strategy to be able to help build, um, you know, organizations of the future, to build the cultures of the future, to be able to really keep people engaged and at their jobs. Uh, and I think that that's just amazing and something I'm grateful for. And I know a lot of talent development professionals that I speak to are grateful for as well. Oh, absolutely. Oh gosh, that's a great answer. Absolutely something to be grateful for. Marissa, we are so happy you joined us today to talk about compassionate leadership. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. 
What a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me and um, happy to do it again sometime. Ooh, and I have a uh, gratitude for my co-host here as well. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun, a great conversation. I am really looking forward to bringing more curiosity into my relationships with my colleagues. So thank you so much for, for being here and for inspiring us today. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, what a relevant topic. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who want to know how to go about being more compassionate as leaders and as colleagues. So thank you so much for just taking the time to chat with us today. And of course, we want to thank our listeners. But before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you want to connect with like-minded talent development professionals? Then go to dcatd.org forward slash COPs. To learn more about our independent consultants, instructional design, leadership development, and government communities of practice. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today.